Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Stratosphere Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Little, and here we are on the uh, third day of August 2023. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, don't have a super big uh, topic on my mind here. Maybe we'll just dive right into questions. Who knows? Um, but uh, I did just get a notification about uh, 15, 20 minutes ago as we record this from um, Jimmy Fallon, who did the um, moon landing hoax program for uh, Fox Nation. Um, and uh, I'll just read this text to you. I didn't ask me to keep this quiet. Uh, so this is uh, from Jimmy. Uh, Whittle. I saw the doc and it came out great. It drops Monday, but I'll try to get you a screener copy before then. You came off great. Capital letters. Um, so that's good to hear. Uh, the main thing, of course, will be uh, my lifelong dream of um, appearing in the same uh, program as, as Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise, because uh, Bill Shatner's in that as well. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, needless to say, this one I will be on top of in terms of promoting where it'll be and when as soon as I know. Um, but I'm glad to hear that the uh, that the show turned out well and that and that. Uh, hello, New Zealand. Chris, good to see you. Um, that uh, if I turned out great, that means that the defense of the moon landing turned out great, because that's basically what I was in there for, so that's great. Um, the uh, rest of the stuff is proceeding apace. Um, uh, buck, of buck of Five uh, asks if there's any progress on um, uh, Last Man on the Moon thing, and there is. Uh, I'm not going to get into it now. I'm trying to keep these streams uh, separate. Uh, Separate. I don't know if it. I, I honestly don't know if it's Fox Nation or Fox Business. That's the honest truth. I'm not a hundred percent sure. But in any event, I will have the link for you as soon as I, I have it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that show because that's real different than what I usually do. Um, there are a couple people out there uh, regarding um, uh, Mace Matting, Major Mace Mattingly, and Last Man on the Moon, uh, who are two YouTube channels out there that I'm trying to. Uh, coordinate with to send some emails out. I just got, I mean, just got um, personal copies of Apollo 11, what we saw, and uh, Cold War, what we saw. I can't show those uh, to the public, but I did not have resume copies of them. So when I wanted to reference these things, I had to send some, you know, link to somebody else who pirated it and was running it up there. So now I've got uh, top quality copies uh, that I can use to rep to um, just kind of as a re like I said as a resume reference. However, um, there are a couple of um, really really cool channels out there that I put a little uh, uh, put a little uh, tickle to because I think they're fantastic, and um, and uh, one of them I don't want. I'm not going to mention the name just because I don't want the email that I sent to be beaten by anybody else getting there before me, uh, spreading you know, vicious rumors about me. Uh, but uh, one of them is a is a terrific channel, and what it does is he he produces very high quality animations, generally speaking, of. Um, of vehicles that we've had on the drawing board and didn't fly. 
I'm going to go with this being political enough to be in Stratosphere Lounge rather than Stratosphere Studio. And I've touched on it a bit before. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But basically, having, uh, again, just watched uh, all of his channels, there was, just to give you an idea, uh, there was a bet that I could cover Planes and RK, and uh, whoever made that bet is going to win. Because uh, this will not take long. We'll get into questions here. Uh, but, he, for example, he's written a bunch of, uh, he's, he's done a bunch of animations, a lot of hardware stuff like the dinosaur and things like that, the, the uh, U.S. Air Force space plane I'd known about, a number of other things I've known about. He did an animation of the original design of the space shuttle where it takes off on the back of another space shuttle and basically the boat just came down to land. But the great thing about this guy is that he's covered a lot of stuff I didn't even know existed, and there are plans there were plans for unbelievable unbelievable um uh launch vehicles and things along those lines um i think i might have mentioned there was a, a plan i think maybe boeing put together that took four saturn fives extended the first stage and put four saturn five main main stages that'd be 20 uh f1 engines and um and up it goes so uh, I would really like to work with him if possible because uh, it would, would solve a lot of problems. And, um, and there you go. This will not take very long, says Eric Blake one hour later. He's right. He knows me better than I know myself. Uh, by the way, uh, hang on, hang on, where'd he go? Got to get to this. Don't want to forget this. Hang on a second. Everybody be cool. Just this is the result of a loop. So, uh, yes, there it is. I wanted to make sure I got it right. So uh, let me just uh, interrupt for one moment just to say uh, happy birthday to Eric Blake, whose birthday will be tomorrow, apparently uh, August 4th. He'll be 33 years old. Um, and let me just say, as a person who's been 33, Eric, uh, and I mean this as sincerely as possible, you are already well, well past your prime. Um, so I hope uh, I hope you uh, hope you take that to heart for your birthday. Um, no, seriously, happy birthday, pal. And um, anyway, so this guy did a – so here's the, here comes the RK part. Uh, he did an animation for something that actually was on the drawing boards. Nothing he does apparently is invented. All of these things were at least proposed. And it's Bandit's birthday too. My God, 35 years. You guys are separated at birth. Your twins uh, just a couple years apart. It's a long delivery. Um, so uh, here we go. So <laughs> the latest one he's got, I'm not making this up now, not making this up, a serious plan apparently in the early 70s, and it was to mount a, an orbital class missile in the, in the back of an Ohio class ballistic missile sub. I don't know if it fit inside a, a, a Trident tube, I suspect not because it extends way out. But anyway, here's this, like this Ohio class sub and it's going through the water and behind it is a, is a, like a super sharp looking uh, missile that's at least as tall as the sail on the Ohio. And it must've made a hell of a lot of noise. Um, but going through the water and this was, the, this was an actual plan that was actually put together an actual proposal. So here's what it was. I think it was called the hypersonic intercept or something. The idea was in the early seventies that, um, that, we may need to take out enemy satellites, meaning Soviet satellites, in the event of a nuclear war. And that may mean that we might need to get uh, into space quickly and 
and from a place that wouldn't be a target of a nuclear strike, like Kennedy Space Center or something like that. So what this thing basically is, is a hypersonic cone. And I'm not making this up. So he's got this animation of this thing, psh, fires off the, the uh, from from submerged position, just like a, just like a trident, uh, trident or a Polaris. Psh, off it goes into orbit. This thing is this long cone with, with heat tiling all around it. And it gets into orbit, and a hatch opens, and a guy's head comes out. And, and that's about how big the thing is. The thing's the size of like a, an extremely big toboggan or something like that. He maneuvers this thing next to this Soviet satellite and gives it a little knock on the head and knocks that thing out of orbit. And then, he, then, then this, this cone reenters the atmosphere like a, exactly like the exact same shape as a, as a, a MERV warhead. Um, Multiple independent, multiple independent reentry vehicle warheads, where they put three or five or ten nuclear warheads on one missile. It looks exactly like a MERV, much bigger. And this thing's just coming in, and this there's a guy sitting there, and he's just riding this thing. You know, doesn't have a window. Windows are for sissies. He's just just riding this thing in, and as this thing gets to I don't know, you know, forty, fifty thousand feet, out comes a drogue chute. Out comes a, a, a bigger chute to slow it down, and then. Out of the back comes a, um, uh, you know, one of those para, para wings, the modern square parachutes that you can steer a little bit. And this big, big square parachute comes out, and it's out in the middle of the Mojave Desert, and this thing just, just comes gliding down, does a little maneuvering, stay away from the mountains, you know. Gets, uh, finds this little kind of relatively narrow sort of a valley where it's nice and flat, and you can see the, the pulling the, like the, the, um, I forget what the name of those control wires are. Uh, and lanyards or something. Anyway, and, and, he, and he flares this thing, and the thing just touched down on skids. And it's like, okay, we just went into orbit in a, in a toboggan, and we don't have any windows, so we had to open the hatch and stick my space-suited head out the window, look around, find the satellite, maneuver up to it, bang it on the head with a hammer, basically, fire the retros, come on in at Mach 25 or 30, Parachute to a landing, get out. Here comes the recovery truck. Let the let the enlisted personnel take care of the risers. Thank you. Let the enlisted personnel take care of uh, cleaning this thing up. I'll just hop in the in the truck back to Edwards. Shower, shave, maybe uh, quick debrief. Get some lunch and then fly out to Naval Air Station Mayport or something. Hop on another one. Do it again. So that's the airplane part. Where's the arcade part in this? Well, 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 well. Uh, what's my call sign? My call sign uh, is was given to me by actual Air Force pilots in an actual Air Force ceremony, and it is Skid. It, it's not Skid Mark. It almost was, but they decided to show me some mercy. It was Skid because they had me. I was two thirds full of a fifth of scotch, and usually uh, being you know one thirtieth of a bottle of a fifth of scotch is enough for me. And uh, I was so drunk I couldn't stay on the floor, and I was ride. They they made me ride this electric motorcycle around. And I just said to myself, God, please, you can kill me on the way home. Just don't let me fall off this bike. And I came roaring back into the hangar with that kind of smooth enamely kind of floor, locked up the brakes on this thing, put a put a black skid on the guy's uh, hangar floor from the rubber. Uh, and, uh, and that was how that happened. One of the very best days of my life. Might have been the best single day of my life in terms of guy things, you know. I have to say the best day of my life, of course, is the day I met my wife because, you know, I want to wake up.
in the morning. Uh, but in any event, it was a, it was a tremendous day. Um, anyway, so here's the arcade part, because I haven't talked about arcade forever. Those of you who are new to the Stratosphere Lounge uh, don't know that for about a year, I just did nothing but talk about arcade. RK is a theory, small r, capital K, small r slash capital K. And it's the idea that humans being as adaptable as we are ha have have the ability because we've got excellent software to adapt one of two uh, reproductive strategies, success, genetic success, reproducing offspring. Uh, that exist in the animal world, except that animals are hardwired and they can't change, but humans apparently can, and that there are some there's some compelling evidence that there are aspects of either R or K behaviors in humans, and the short short form of it is our behavior is where the uh, the, the optimal strategy is to have as many kids as possible. Don't waste any time training them because it doesn't matter. Life is an endless sea of clover. You don't need to make a better rabbit. You're just wasting time. Rabbits don't have to be trained to eat grass. You just, you could, you could spend two years with, with your children, rabbits, and try to make them into better rabbits. Wouldn't make any difference. The key to being successful with R is to have as many rabbits as possible. K is wolves, where there's a limited food supply, and there, numbers don't matter so much as how skillful is the is the pup is the pup know what it needs to do in order to survive so um so k-type behaviors are are much more um, individualistic and they're much more uh, aggressive they also have uh built-in inhibitors on violence because when two rabbits fight it's hilarious and when two wolves fight one of them's going to die unless they were hardwired to stop fighting once one of them surrenders. Once a wolf shows its throat to the other wolf, it's over. It just stops. It doesn't just wind down. It's just over. So the idea is that uh, people who are drawn to conservative principles tend to be more K-oriented. Um, they, they're competitive. They are, uh, they're risk-takers. They, they are um, aware of external threats. And progressives tend to be more R-type collectivists where Everything's great. There's nothing to worry about. There are no wolves over the uh, behind the trees. Their life is but an endless sea of, of uh, clover. And and who gives a damn about your children? Just have as much fun and eat as much as you can. That's it in a nutshell. So um, since I saw RK in the uh, run up for the show today, I realized well, um, certainly. I consider myself K-type people, virtually everybody here who heard the RK year of celebration, because it just made so much sense to me and explained so many things. Virtually everybody listening to this now are pretty much K-type individuals, into, you know, as opposed to collectivists. Uh, and speaking of K-type behavior, wolf-type behavior, it's kind of hard to imagine anything more k and strapping yourself into a essentially a, a, a rather large nuclear warhead shell launching into space from below the surface of the ocean, which means that you probably had to be in there. You certainly had to be in there. So you had to get into this capsule, seal it up. The Ohio heads out to sea, submerges. You stay in there. Whatever. Maybe you went in there with a scoop. Who knows? Anyway, you're going to ride a... a, a a, a ballistic missile into space, you're going to clunk a, a, a Russian spy satellite on the head, knock it out of orbit, come screaming in at Mach 25, land the thing with parachutes, and just get home and write a report. That's about as K as it gets. Um, 
I was looking at about how R as it gets last night by happy coincidence, because um, after uh, the death of uh, Paul Rubens, which I won't say it affected me greatly, like it shook my world, but it certainly made me sad. And I have noticed that everybody who I grew up with in show business is suddenly looking much older. And that's alarming. Um, in any event, I remember thinking, oh gosh, then there was an ad I saw for Noam Chomsky who's doing a master class on critical thinking. That's hilarious. That right itself is a, is a joke that writes itself. And I remember thinking, I remember Woody Allen looked pretty old last time I saw him because Paul Rubens was 70. He looked great. Um, I wonder what Woody Allen looks like now. And the answer is not too good, but he, he never really did look good. So I stumbled upon this interview that Woody Allen did with Alec Baldwin, of all people. Uh, sort of a perfect storm of, of self-righteous, uh, enforced, inflicted um, ignorance uh, in exchange for unearned uh, feelings of virtue. And um, and as... Uh, and as I was reading this article, what he was saying, he doesn't like making movies anymore. And a part, of, a fair amount of this, I agreed with. He says I don't like making movies anymore because nobody goes to the movies. You know, when you when you get in there, uh, you know, there's 500 people watching your work. It's a communal experience. Now everything's streaming. It's just not the same. He's made 49 movies. I think he's working on his 50th. So he was talking about how um, he doesn't really like making movies anymore. And he said how much of that was due to. Uh, uh, the pandemic. I thought, oh, this is going to be re real interesting. And sure enough, it was. So Woody Allen said something. It's not a direct quote, but it's pretty close. He said, like everybody else, I was terrified, and I spent two years hiding under the bed. And um, I thought, I think he probably meant to say, like everybody else you know was terrified. And I have no doubt at all whatsoever that Woody Allen was hiding under the bed. He never did contract COVID, by the way. I'm sure he was, uh, I'm sure they airlifted a special batch of the very first vaccines out to him. Now, to be fair, uh, Woody Allen's in his late 80s. So during the COVID pandemic, he was in a pretty high risk group, but he's trim shape. I'm sure he would have been fine. Certainly would have been fine if he'd, if he'd gotten hydroxychloroquine or any of these other medications that we know knock this thing on its butt. But I digress, as usual. But I always come to Woody Allen because I remember Woody Allen during his entire life, and I'm a huge fan of some of his work, the funny stuff, obviously, and, and the serious movies are just excellent films. He's just a great filmmaker. But I always remembered that Woody Allen was the guy who most vocally, both seriously and comically, was living a 87 now or something, 87-year-long nightmare where every single day he's afraid of dying. It's obsessive with him. It's clearly obsessive with him. He's not, he's not shy about it. And I was tempted to hear this, you know, hiding under the bed, and I'm thinking, you know, this is just rubbing it in. Uh, here's the thing, Woody, you know, you, you're, getting, you know, you're getting fairly close to the station here, pal. And I'm, I just wonder how awful that must be um, and, uh, and, and I don't doubt whatsoever that a guy who was so constantly terrified of dying when COVID came along and New York took a, took a 
pretty big hit. In fact, New York was the was the ultimate um, uh, super spreader. There's fairly convincing epidemiological evidence that a number of, of large cases of infections all came from New York and sort of spread out to the rest of the country, much like their philosophy. Uh, and um, and I remember thinking, well, that's about as R as it gets. Uh, the I, I just, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was I was afraid to die until I was probably until I was thirty three, and I had that flying experience. I'm not going to that again. But I realize now, okay, I've done I've done something wonderful in my life. So you know, at least I get uh, I get to say I didn't waste all of it. Um, and and I don't I just don't know how awful. I mean, I I can I can get a rough idea of how awful it is. Um, but uh, it just doesn't bother me. I've, maybe because I think about it enough, you know, it's not like I think about it every day like he does. I just think about it enough. It's like, okay, well, the clock is a ticking, Billy. Um, uh, just out of nowhere, Captain Freedom says, anyone else miss Stefan Molnier? Yeah, I miss Stefan. Uh, I thought he was a great thinker. We disagreed on a lot of things, uh, but he just vanished. He was just eliminated from the culture. I just wrote an article for uh, my friend Mike Walsh, whose new uh, book is coming out about um, fighting, you know, the corporate tech culture, and I just wrote an article for him about censorship uh, and um, and shadow banning. Which, by the way, I found out when I copied and pasted it that another term for shadow banning is hell banning, and I explain why why it is. I can get that either. Anyway, um, uh. So there's there sits Woody Allen. Somebody in the comments said that Ellen Page is the same way. It doesn't surprise me. I'd be willing to bet you that if you ran down the list of celebrities, you would find virtually all of them uh, live in this perpetual fear of, of this kind of thing. Um, I think it's probably a result of me just having not only the stupid beaten out of me, but the self-importance too. You know, it's not like the world's going to end uh, when I uh, fly west here. Uh, and I think ultimately for me, it's like, did you, you know, you are, okay, so congratulations among all of the matter in the universe, some microscopic trillionth part of the trillionth part of a trillionth part of all the matter in the universe got to be you, and uh, you got to be alive and aware for 64 years now, and, you know, so congratulations, you made it to the stage, did you blow your lines? And it's like, well, I, I got a rough start, but, you know, I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like, you know, that I'm, uh, that I don't need to produce a receipt. Uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's a cheerful topic for us to get started in. But again, RK, so there you go. Um, the thing that's not lost on me, however, is that the kind of men like Neil Armstrong is a great example, who do the most dangerous things and I know a lot of SEALs who are this way, that the people who do the most dangerous things, the men who do the most dangerous things, are almost always the men that are the least afraid of anything. And that seems, at first, I mean, at first glance, that seems counterintuitive. But it's actually cl clearly logical and reasonable. The kind of men that do dangerous things carefully, because that's what SEALs and... Um, 
and uh, pilots and astronauts do, is they do dangerous things carefully. They're not in it for the adrenaline rush. They're not in it to cheat death. They're in it to do a job and stay alive doing it. But they are also aware of the, of the odds and the risks. And so the, those guys are essentially fearless. And I suppose it's because they are just okay with, with it. I met somebody, I, I remember when we did, um, just put a post up on Facebook, I think it was. I don't think we even did a segment. Of, maybe we did a segment on, on Red Angle. But there was one of these guys who flies the wingsuits. He was one of the two guys that flew the jet wingsuits. They're not, I'm sorry, the jet wings. They're not actually wingsuits. The two guys, Red Bull or something, these two guys just basically strap on these little wings. they got these little jets there, and they fly around like fighter like fighter airplanes. And, and one of them got killed doing it. And I thought, um, okay, I'll bet he had a fine life. I, I watched him doing aerobatics without an airplane, and I thought, that's more risk than I want to take, but by God, that looks like fun. You know, and I didn't feel the slightest uh, bit sorry about it. I didn't feel any regret. I didn't know the guy, obviously, but I don't think he felt any regret. And, I mean, people will miss him. His partner will miss him, but that's, you know, that's the way to go, doing what you love. And and I remember at the time writing about, and I think I said, uh, life is not about length, it's about volume. And somebody had a criticism about that and saying length includes volume. I suppose that's true. But you can get a lot done in 30 years, or you can get pretty much nothing done in 100, and uh, and I know which way I, I want to go with that. So um, Woody Allen, to his credit, uh, didn't just sit around for he, – he, he did something with his life. There's no question about that. I just I just pity it. And I think also, because I've had to deal with this with um, – to some small degree with Natasha and, and her, you know, worrying about me flying and things like that um, – The uh, when I think about the wives of these guys who, and the wives of all servicemen that are deployed overseas in combat situations, the um, the servicemen, combat servicemen, know when they're under fire and they know when they're in real danger. And um, they're as they say, you know, moments of terror punctuated by hours of boredom. I'm sorry, hours of boredom punctuated by moments of terror. But at least when you're in that forward uh, base or something, you know when to be scared, and the rest of the time you're not. I mean, if there's incoming mortar fire or, you know, they're storming the walls or something, it's a good time to be pretty scared and take action. But the rest of the time you're not. But the wives don't know that. The wives, as far as the wives are concerned, they're always under attack at all times. They have no way of knowing whether they're safe at the moment right now, so they worry about it all the time. And I was thinking about this with regards to um, the wives of some of these test pilots who had a 25% chance of not coming back from a mission when they were in the 60s breaking all these barriers. And I thought, you know, the reason people worry about that, oh, I wonder, oh, I hope he's going to be okay. Oh, my God, I just, I'm just not going to be able to rest until I hear back from him. The reason people worry, and by the way, thank you very much for that super chat from Single Cell Organism 13. That was very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, the reason that they worry, whether they realize it or not, is they're trying to prepare themselves for the shock of it. They spend the whole day terrified of the phone call because they want to be ready when the phone call comes. They don't want to be blindsided by it. But what... Um, 
what that means is, is that as far as that wife's emotional state goes, her husband dies every day. I mean, he dies every day as far as she's concerned. She spends the whole day convinced she'll never see him again, spends the whole day waiting for the phone call that doesn't come, at least not usually. And it's like every single day she has to grieve for her husband, who she's convinced is not coming back today, and he comes back every time. And I just try to explain, you know, there's nothing you can really do to mitigate that hit when that hit happens. Police wives as well, says Lady Hawk. Absolutely. Any of these, anybody who does this dangerous work, firefighters, uh, especially wild firefighters, uh, and um, all of those guys, mostly guys, almost exclusively guys. Uh, and so worrying about it is a kind of perpetual agony that accomplishes nothing. It just means that, as far as as far as this fictional uh, test pilot wife is concerned, as far as she's concerned, she has a funeral for her. She has to grieve for her husband dying every single day for ten years. When, in, in point of fact, most of them didn't die. So it's just I understand it, and I'm I'm as susceptible to worry as anybody else. So you know. In the worst case scenario, we're always just a few steps away from each other. It never seems to catch me for some reason. I should be more aware of that fact by now, but nevertheless, you know, <clears throat> footsteps behind you do tend to focus the mind. Uh, and, and, and so that same thing applies to Woody Allen and to all the rest of these uh, people that people have mentioned, especially in regard to COVID. Because the thing about COVID is they were always afraid. They were terrified before COVID. Um, but once COVID hit, they managed through the news media and, and, and other forms of uh, re-education to convince most people to be terrified too, and that gave them the power to make everybody else behave as scared as they were. Stay in your house, lock your doors, hide under the bed. I don't feel like doing that. Well... If you don't, you'll, you're, you'll, you'll be contributing to the spread and you'll be causing me danger by you being out there. Uh, hang on a second. Uh, Kisama001, another super chat. Thank you. I found out today our supervisor passed away. The first question to come to mind was, did he take the vaccine? They believe he had a heart attack. Uh, how old was he, I wonder? Uh, Kisama. Um, oh, John Redcorn. I loved your work in um, King Hill, by the way. Uh, John Redcorn, if you like war so much, Bill, you should go to Ukraine. I have better respect for the skateboarding kid who lost, who, who lands his first kickflip, something you will never do. That's quite right, John. I will never land my first, uh, kickflip. And John, honestly, you know, you touch such a nerve here. You're never going to realize the, 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 the agony that that causes me. But every single day I wake up and realize I'm not going to be able to make a wooden board with wheels on it flip through the air as I continue down the street at a leisurely pace. Uh, I'm going to have to limit myself to having done aerobatics and experimental airplanes and ridden on nuclear submarines and you know the rest of that trivial stuff. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to have a chance to do you know something as amazing as um, as as make a, a piece of wood flip under my feet. So. You got me there, John. Um, 
Let me see something here. Hold on a second. Working on something. Where did it go? Uh, oh, it's probably over here. Hang on a second. Just got to fix one thing. Um, yeah, I got a little uh, Windows issue here. Hang on a second. Sorry about the delay. Just everybody just hold that thought. And uh, by all means, uh, talk amongst yourselves. Just a quick little computer thing. Uh, almost there. Uh, well, that's not what I want to do. Hang on a second. I want to do. I'm sorry. I'm still. I'm still uh, trying to deal with the. Um, with the. Just the sheer. Magnitude of, the, of not being able to do the. Uh, you know. The flippy thing. Where did this thing go? I'm so sorry about this. Apologies. Uh, I just got to. Oh, come on. <sighs> Buttons and things. Hang on a minute. This is not. This should not be this difficult. There. I'm embarrassed. I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm still trying to get over the shock. Where would that be? Well, that is strange. I hope you're talking amongst yourselves here uh, as I continue with this. Hang on, there we go. I think we got it. I might have found it. Hang on a second. Uh, there we go. That's got it. Uh, okay, um, much better now. Uh, and, um, no, it's okay, Marisha, I took care of it while I was dusting the furniture. Uh, in any event, um, the, uh, it's a, it's a difficult way to go through life and I don't envy them at all. Uh, I think it's gotta be really tough. Uh, so. In any event, let's see uh, what we will do here. Uh, moving on. All right. So uh, let's go ahead to the uh, the, the fabulous uh, question um, uh, section at uh, BillWiddle.com. Uh, and uh, let's see here. A lot of activity on our members forum is just amazing what... what uh, guys come up with I just blows me away every time is it working I had to update all of the uh, well didn't have to update apps I had to basically I had to retire the squirrels that were operating the uh, website before and um, I sent them out to a lovely pasture I didn't you know euthanize them or anything that'd be cruel and ridiculous uh, so I sent them off to the uh, old squirrels home and put new squirrels in and they are um, Running just as fast as they can, but they don't seem to be going much faster. So maybe it might be time to upgrade to, well, I don't know, Wolverines would probably be an awesome start. 
Here we go. Let's try it again. Number four. Yeah, I miss Pee Wee Herman. I do. I miss him. I I um. I just thought he was wonderful. I always thought he was wonderful. Stress for lunch questions and more. I've always wondered about the and more part, but I guess we'll find that out someday. Uh, All right, here we go. Everybody, brace for uh, brace for collision because uh, this is uh, this is it. Ah, I can tell this one's going to be rich in information for me. Ian Nolan, a fine fellow who, um, who always has remarkably bright things to say, has intrigued me with this first sentence because I've heard of this and it's a book I obviously need to read. Bill, I just discovered a book written in 1997 called The Fourth Turning, which predicted turbulence in the 2020s, which we're now experiencing. It basically puts a clock on the whole hard times, hard men thing of 80 years, along with showing that, along with showing that on that cycle, we need a set of new paradigms to come to fix the ossification and decadence of the previous cycle. The previous 80-year cycles coincided with the American Revolution, the Civil War, and World War II. Isn't that something? So, there's more. This is a really intriguing topic. Uh, and thank you, Ian. So, the, the, you know, when you look at... Uh, Clearly, society and, and, and standards collapsing all around us, educational levels are plummeting, which would be alarming. What's terrifying is nobody seems to care or is curious about the things that they don't know. Um, and so the, the best way that this was ever described, certainly not by me, I wish I knew who said it, but basically they said the cycle of civilization is this. Um, strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create bad times. Bad times create strong men. And I'd always assume that was a civilizational thing. It was hundreds of years or something. But um, what is apparently uh, the point in this book, The Fourth Turning, which I would imagine would be, we're getting into the fourth cycle for the, he says that the 80 year, every 80 years or so, that'd be every roughly four generations. Uh, the previous cycles coincided with the American Revolution, the Civil War, and World War II. Um, and this business about um, a set of new paradigms to come to fix the ossification and decadence of the previous cycle. So I'll get back to that in a minute. So he's got some more. So if what's going on ultimately is the death throes of our previous paradigms, well, that's a, that's a profound thought. It seems like we, anyone not on the insane left, should stop trying to conserve or look backwards, i.e. candidates like DeSantis who will bring excellent management but to a dying system, and instead try and find candidates who bring in the new paradigms, candidates more along the lines of Rams, uh, Ramaswamy, who are looking for new ideas, thoughts. Well, first of all, thought, uh, Ian, my first thought is thank you very much for that. That is uh, something I really need to uh, spend a lot more time thinking about. And also, um, also I find that to be very encouraging. The, the shorter the cycle, the better I like it. Um, Marisha Dark, who's always got something brilliant to say, although not necessarily here. Uh, related to the fourth turning is the 70-year cycle of international bankruptcy that coincided with the revolution, the Civil War Depression, and 9-11. How about that? Okay, so the... I, I can't uh, say... I can't talk to the Depression or the Civil War or any of those other things, but I can tell you that the um, financial collapse of 2008 was clearly a result of weak men, selfish, greedy, R-type individuals who 
we're making billions of dollars, not only producing nothing of value, but producing something that they knew had no value. And it was just a, a, a game of chicken to see who could, you know, go the longest without figuring out, you know, that this whole thing was just garbage. Uh, but this 80 year cycle is interesting and, and especially find it interesting. Um, uh, hang on a second. Huh. Okay. Uh, one more second. I, I, hang on a second. Sorry. Sorry. One second. This is going to take an instant. This is fun. I'm just looking up something here. There you go. Okay. This thing is especially funny about this is, um, is uh, there's a guy who is uh, no longer with us in the YouTube comment section, and he basically was saying, um, so, uh, so deleting people uh, is is a he's, he's basically talking about freedom and and we have the freedom to be off topic and we have the freedom to do what we want to do and in the comment section, not not at large, just basically here. And, um, and he seemed to be under the impression that, uh, I was obligated to provide him with an audience. Uh, and, um, I'm not. So, um, the nice thing about it is it didn't actually lock him out of the stream. It's possible he's still listening and it's possible the other guy's still listening too. It's just, they can't say anything anymore. Um, and, I just think, uh, I just find that really, really interesting. For a very long time, you know, I especially back in the days of eject, 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 I felt that kind of, I have a moral obligation, you know, and so on, but I just watched what happened again and again and again and again and again. I'd build up an audience of people who wanted to read my stuff. People would be talking about an article. Somebody would come in and make some turd-faced comment, and then everything after that got to be about them, which is what they want. And I realized, no. Get your own audience, both of you. Just get your own audience. Uh, and I'm not so um, convinced you're going to find that easy because the one thing I have noticed about people like you is that you never say anything interesting. You just say things that are provocative. And there's a huge difference between those two things. In any event, back to the cycle of civilizations. Um, and have a, have a great time out there in the, in the, uh, in the YouTube wasteland. Um, so... If it's an 80-year cycle, I find this to be extremely encouraging and reassuring. And, and part of the reassuring part is because I've gotten that sense that um, that things are that things are are reaching a, 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 a some kind of tipping point. I don't want to be too Pollyanna and say things are about to just break our way and it's going to be sunshine and, and laughter, you know, starting in a year or two. But I get saturation is the word that I'm looking for. I, I get the sense that the society is getting more and more and more saturated with this nonsense. 
I have not only heard, but I've actually seen with my own two lion eyes that Market Street, once the um, tourist center of San Francisco, is um, is just closed. There's nobody there anymore. And the reason there's nobody there anymore is because of the crazy people smashing the businesses and harassing the customers. And so Market Street and Fisherman's Wharf, all of it, it's just gone. I was there, only been once in my life to Fisherman's Wharf. I was there in 2006, maybe something like that. Lots of people there. Um, that is where, by the way, uh, a person who I did not know very well or very long, but was a friend of a friend, uh, issued one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard. Uh, we were sitting there in Fisherman's Wharf. He was an Australian, and he was looking around, and he said, Well, mate, here we are, surrounded by legions of Christ-hating sodomites. Legions of Christ-hating sodomites. Well, that's pithy. Uh, but it's actually interesting, because it's not the legions of Christ-hating sodomites that that closed San Francisco. It's the people that the legions of Christ-hating sodomites voted for and continue to vote for. And so they will watch their own city shut down before they change the way they vote because the way they vote is their identity. It's a form of, you know, I, I've talked about this so many times uh, about, about progressivism being essentially a, rigid, a religion and an identity, and it is an identity, and this is why they'll never change. This is why people who live in San Francisco will vote for these clowns until there is no more San Francisco. They'll do it because if they have to change their mind and vote for law and order and go against their progressive principles, it is, it is a form of suicide for them. It's the end of their identity as they know it. Um, so there you go. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Robert Mitchelson, a zoomer tip. And I, God knows I could always use those. By the way, uh, after Boomers, Zoomers is a pretty cool nickname, too. I like that a lot better than Gen Z. But if you guys go with Zoomer, just as a as a Boomer, I'm telling you, it'd be a step up. But, you know, okay, Zoomer. Uh, just ignore the haters, even though they're being an idiot. It boosts your argument and helps you in the algorithm. Oh, how about that? Let the haters cope and see to boost your numbers. Zoomer out. Well, Zoomer, I got to tell you. From the bottom of my heart, sincerely, thank you for that. That is that is superb advice. And while I give the Zoomers a lot of a lot of grief, I'm about to go someplace with this question that you might find interesting. So thank you very much for that. I deeply appreciate it. Uh, given the numbers on this show, um, I think actually I would rather have the raw satisfaction than the boost to the membership or or, or viewership. And that is just simply a personal preference. Uh, and I suspect that, that is uh, one of the things that, 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 that Gen Z is uh, much better at coping with than, than uh, we are in terms of, is because of, of trolls. Because back in my day when we were, you know, writing on papyrus with uh, sharp sticks dipped in squid ink, uh, when somebody said something insulting to you, they said it to your face. And there was a concept uh, that I don't think anybody under the age of 30 really understands, and most people over that age do. There was a term that was in common usage called fighting words. In fact, there was a legal, there was a legal argument for uh, something called fighting words. And the idea was 
that while uh, it's common to talk about microaggressions and, and, and words or violence, you know, and if you say something mean about me or something or you tell me to shut up, it's the same as, as a physical assault, all the rest of that garbage. What they were, what they were basically saying back in the day when everybody was considerably more polite was that there are some things that you cannot say to a person, at certainly not in their presence, without them having a perfectly legitimate right to resort to physical violence. That it is, that it is, they're fighting words. And there was a, a legal precedent for, for fighting words. Uh, that's largely gone the way of the, the dinosaurs and, uh, and, uh, and the Daisy BB gun. Um, because it's, uh, it's a, it's a really profoundly good idea. See, there's two things about the, um, saying things like, like that in person that don't apply on the internet. And now that everything happens on the internet for Gen Zers, it's hard for them to imagine that it was very different, but perhaps, perhaps this will, in all sincerity, I'm not being uh, sarcastic, facetious at all. I'm very, very. I'm genuinely grateful for the tip. I really am. And I, and and I wouldn't talk so much about uh, Gen Z if I didn't care so much about them. That's the honest truth. I just wouldn't give a damn. Um, but there's two things about insulting somebody in person. And the most important thing is is that when you're sitting there with somebody in person, you at least get the sense that you're dealing with a real person. You're, you 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 get to read their emotions. You get to do all kinds of things. You, you don't automatically assume uh, the kind of things you assume when you're sitting in a chat room hammering away at the keyboard, especially when you go to all caps if you're really serious. I've seen, by the way, I've seen a couple of Karens up, uh, outraged about things lately, and I've noticed this within the last few months, that when, when these people get really, really outraged, I mean, when they're really, really determined to make a difference, that's when they will trot out their absolutely most vivid anger animated emojis that's when you know they're really angry when they bring out the emoji that goes steam comes out of the ears and the face turns red i thought wow wow they have cracked out uh they've cracked out their their top anger emoji so that means we better take all this seriously in a more serious time um you didn't insult people like that because First of all, you could see it was a real person, but more importantly, you didn't insult people like that because you understood that there was uh, there was a line, and if you cross that line, uh, those of you at home with small children, uh, brace yourselves because I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, uh, censor myself on this one. But that line, we didn't call it this at the time, but there's a very convenient term for it now, which I just love. Everybody in person knew that there was a fuck around and find out line that existed. And, and it was fairly obvious to pretty much everybody, you know, fuck around and find out. You could say things at a point in a, in a, in a bar or in public or in a discussion face to face with somebody. You could say things and you could escalate things. You could do all of that, but then there comes a line. And if you went over that line, then you were now in FAFO territory. And, and anything that happened after the first person goes over that line is the result of the person who crossed the line. I know, two F-bombs in the same show. That's, that's practically my entire year. Uh, or maybe even my entire 
five-year allocation. I just burned it. I just, I don't know, it's in a luxurious mood. It's like lighting cigars with $100 bills. I just felt like doing it. And Eric Blake says, make dueling legal again. And he's not really kidding. Um, there's a saying, again, this is this was excellent advice, and I appreciated it. I really do. So this is advice as well. Um, thank you very much for that, by the way, um, uh, Critias Bain. Thank you so much for the work on the What We Saw documentary, best historical content ever. I'll take that. Thank you. Talking earlier about whether your your life um, uh, is worth something, and it's nice to know that there's some things I can look at and say, yeah, I think that I think that actually made a difference. Uh, yes, Mike, I could have said screw around, f around. I could have done all those things, and I will do it again if it, if the subject comes up. But just every now and then, you got to just you know, especially when you're talking about uh, fighting words. Uh, <laughs> Eric. Uh, Eric, uh, who will be 33 tomorrow, is uh, is a real treasure, as is Marusha and, and, and GK and, and Dave Big Booty and all the rest of the regulars. I don't mean to infidel. I don't mean to if, – if CP Tomes, if your name is not mentioned, please, it's only because it's not right in front of my eyes at the moment. You all know who you are. Dwayne Cates, I guess. Um, but uh, Eric said uh, make dueling legal again. MDLA, that would be a fine hat. That's, that hat should be probably – white with red spots on it. Uh, but the, the saying used to be, and still exists because it's true, is that an armed society is a polite society. When everybody in the, in the Wild West was carrying guns, by the way, the Wild West had a murder rate that was not even anything, not even remotely close to anything that we see in, in our cities today. Not even close. Everybody's heard of the gunfight at the OK Corral. How many people were killed during that gunfight? Was it four, I think? I think it was four. Four killed the 1800s, 1880s. So we're talking about it. 150 years later, four guys were shot in a, in a shootout in the street. This is, this is three, three, three killed. Thank you. This is at half hour in Chicago. And, um, and so when we talk about the old West, oh, so violent, everybody carrying guns. No, it was extraordinarily well behaved because everybody was carrying guns. A polite, an armed society is a polite society. Um, and, uh, you, you couldn't, you couldn't walk up to somebody and call them some of the things or, or, or just keep poking them. That's really what it comes down to. Not even so much that they were um, what they would say as you couldn't just keep poking people. And I've come to realize, hey, you know what? I don't have to put up with this. If I don't care, then, <laughs> then see you later, man. And I don't care anymore. I used to care. I don't. Now I don't care anymore. Oh, yeah? That's how you want to be? Fantastic. You know what? I'm not going to drive this car for the next two hours with you poking me in the back of the head. Goodbye. Goodbye. Out the window you go. Power, power window. No effort at all. It's like clear and smoke. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, there you go. Um, there... There comes a point, you know, where you have to, you know, I don't want to get any further down this road because, because the, the comment, um, that Ian made is, is just so interesting. Uh, really interesting. So let's say that it's true and it, and, and, I, and I believe it is true. No, he's offended with a, with a little, beautiful little parting button here. It's called the OK Corral. How bad could it be, honestly? Now, Chicago is the, 
god-awful, miserable, living hell on earth corral. And back then in, in Tombstone, it was, you know, it's okay. Uh, all right, here we go. So, um, so this business about new paradigms is really interesting to me. Really, really, really interesting to me. When Thad McConnell was in office, and this would be at least 10, probably 12 years, 12, 13 years ago, Thad McConnell was the first person I ever saw who, who, who said something that was just so profound that really just changed the way I think about everything. I saw Thad McConnell, who was a congressman at the time, speaking uh, 12, 13 years ago. Say hi to Stephen Scott. I will say hi to Stephen Scott. Thank you very much for saying so. Um, Kind of get a channel. I hate getting people's names wrong because I, I hate it when I see other people getting my name wrong or my whatever. Did I say McConnell? McCotter? I thought it was McConnell. McCotter? Thad. Thad. Anyway, he said, I was talking to a group of us and he said, um, he said, you see this? Uh, I, uh, I can stand here right now in front of you while I'm talking. McCotter. And and I can order steel from China right now. He said, there's no way that a, 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 a top-down, centrally organized, bureaucracy-heavy government like the one we have now can keep up with that. They can keep up with factories and, and, and other industrial things where everybody is together and there's everything centralized and all these corporations are vertically structured and, and they are grouped into associations and all of this stuff comes to lobbyists in Washington. And here's Congress and, you know, in the pork barrel and all the rest of it. He said, that's something you can control. But when anybody anywhere can make deals with anybody else anywhere, there is no way that our existing bureaucracy, not our government, our bureaucracy can keep up with this. Um, you guys are too kind and, 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 and you both need to get out more often. Thank you very much for that, Jeremy, and, uh, and, um, kind of get a chance. Uh, so I thought, my God, he's absolutely right. So the, so we haven't, we are the product of an agricultural age government. The constitution was written by farmers and, and, and planters and, and, and brewers and things like that. And, And they wrote a document that preserved individual freedom and individual private property, all the rest. And then along comes somewhere around late 1800s, really early 1900s. Everybody's leaving the country, moving to the cities. Now everything is centralized. Now everybody's in one place. Now you can control them. So in the early 1900s, you start to get the progressive movement. You know, the forward-looking guys from 125, 130 years ago. Uh, and... They're the ones who are saying, oh, well, if everybody lives in the city, they can't all have their own cars, so we'll have mass transit. If, if everybody has to take a city bus to get to work, if we control the city buses, that's good for us. Uh, things like public health, um, uh, welfare, uh, all of these things are as a result of cities, people moving into the cities. And our top-heavy, stupid, lazy, slow, fossilized, inefficient, wasteful, fraudulent, ridiculous comical federal government is a second era industrial era government and it's going away because it cannot keep up with what the economy is 
This only happened three times in new ministry, agriculture, industry, and information. Thousands of wars and hundreds and hundreds of plagues and stuff. This is the only third time it's ever happened. It's a big deal that we're living in right now. It's why everything seems so weird. We are, our economy, our, our government no longer matches our economy. Um, I, just give this, I don't want to give this wrong. Critias Bain again for $10 Super Chat. What we saw legit changed my perspective on a bunch of things. Bless you. Thank you for that, uh, uh, Critias. And, um, and uh, I wish I could pay that back to all the people who had an influence on me, but I'm happy to pay it forward, so thank you for that. Um, things like, just things like public school education as we understand it, the idea that everybody who is, you know, 11 years old is going to sit in a room and they're going to get the same level of instruction when they're obviously as different in educational ability as they are in athletic ability. That's all part of this kind of standardized, industrialized uh, thing. Yeah, that's right. Vector death says wars are now uh, money laundering operations. Yeah, there's a fair amount of truth to that, actually. So, um, uh, let me just answer this. Sergio Stevens says, what happened to the show you used to do where Scott gave the left argument and you destroyed it? That was uh, uh, Bill Little now. And we stopped doing that because it was causing Scott endless, endless torment. Uh, no matter how many times I said it, people would always lay into him like these were his ideas, and it just wasn't fair to him, and uh, and so we stopped doing it. Um, so, what are the new paradigms? Well, uh, you know, secure currency uh, is one of them. Gig-based economies, one of them. You know, where you no longer have a job, you've got a bunch of things you do that bring in money, you got all these... Now, maybe you have a regular day job like people used to, but maybe you, the example I used years ago was maybe you're real good at painting duck decoys, and so you, you know, you go work for um, insurance company in the daytime. You come home and have dinner, and then you spend three hours carving and painting duck decoys. That used to just be a hobby. Now, if you're good at it, you can put those things up on eBay or Artsy or something and make more money doing that than you did uh, doing your day job. I have a friend who's the most disciplined, uh, intelligent guy I've ever met in my life, ever. Uh, uh, he's a friend of, of Bert Rutan's. Uh, his name is Brent Regan. He's very active in uh, politics in Idaho. Brent is not just a brilliant guy. His entire family is brilliant because they were raised by Brent and his wife. Um, but his daughter, uh, who built a house with Brent, not a cabin, not, not a not a, a bungalow, an actual three-story wooden house with insulation, heated floors, all of it. They two of them built it. The two of them built this amazing house. Um, his daughter uh, took a an interest in dolls, and she manufactured doll's eyes. Apparently, in the doll world, you can replace the irises on on dolls. And they're handmade, or often handmade, and so, um, and so, she just started doing this, and she was very good at it. And suddenly, she found herself in a situation where, whenever she had new products, it would sell out within forty minutes, just sell out around the world because these doll collectors all around the world. She's selling them to Norway and you know Madagascar and and you know Thailand, all of this stuff. She gets paid through PayPal, and 
that's the new economy. Um, so we have, you know, Eric Walker, he's, he's got black eyes, like a doll's eyes. Um, so, so this is all part of, you know, this new paradigm thing that, that Ian was talking about. I'm definitely going to read that book, by the way, especially if it was written in the late 90s. Um, and so I suspect what's going to happen is things are going to get worse faster. It seems to be the case. Things are accelerating towards uh, lunacy. And while I used to be alarmed about that, I get less so every day now. Now it's just a question. Get Okay, get it out of your system, you know. We'll just be over here, sitting here, minding our own business, going to work, making things, uh, and making sure they keep working. You guys go and have your, you have your little uh, insanity orgy, and... Um, and when it's over, you know, undoubtedly we'll have to be here to help you out again the way we pretty much always do. But that's that's basically it. Um, so new paradigms is exactly right. Now, related to new paradigms, I wanted to get to this and, and just saw this comment come in because uh, it's really important. Where to go? See, this is I need my cogitation spectacles here. Here it is. Uh, uh, Frank Blaskowitz says, can your channel talk to younger non-leftists? Uh, Frank, no, it can't, which is why I'm working on uh, a separate channel, um, which is what the whole major Mace Madden new thing is all about. Uh, I just finished an article for my friend Mike Walsh about shadow banning and uh, how 10 years ago... Uh, if I released a firewall 10 years ago and it did not break 300,000 views, I considered it a, a, a tremendous failure. A tremendous failure. If it didn't get to 300,000 views within four or five days, I thought, really missed the mark on this one. The last firewall I did has been up there for seven months and it's gotten 18,000 views. Now, I genuinely, as I pointed out in that article, Intellectual honesty is important, and I just started asking myself, is that because the work is not as good? Is it because um, it's because the style of what you're doing is going out of style? You know, both of those may be true. But the thing I did notice, again, as I pointed out in the article, was that we do right angles every week, and the right angles, when we started them, were pulling 25, 30, 40,000 views per, and then overnight, overnight, they went from 30,000 on average down to about 17,000 on average overnight. 20, you know, 28, 29, 30, 33, 40, 40, 40, 29, 27, 17, 14, 11, 16, 9 overnight. And then as I built that thing back up, uh, what I mean by firewall, firewall is the name of a, uh, it's a brand of, of uh, commentary I did basically reskinned uh, Afterburner, which was owned by PJTV. So um, they're basically the same thing. They've just got different graphic work. Um, they're long format uh, political commentary. And I will post my first, uh, first successful, second ever, first successful uh, Afterburner uh, on August 6th, which is just a mere three days from now, called The True Story of the Atomic Bombs. Um, so... So I asked myself, you know, is this decline from a floor of 
300,000 to, to 18,000? Is that my fault? And I'm perfectly happy to accept that it is. I mean, I really am. I'm not happy about it. I'm not like, hooray. But if it turned out that that were the case, that would be a, a reasonable explanation. And it may, in fact, be the real explanation. However, that, that instantaneous drop-off, and then we'd hit a plateau, and it would stay around 15, 18, 17,000, somewhere around in there, start to build it up, start to get into the 20s or 22s over the course of weeks and weeks, and then it went down to nines. And then it went down to sixes and fives. Now we're building it back up to, you know, 10s, 11s, 12s. But, but these things are, they, it's like a, somebody has, has turned a, a, a metaphorical uh, wrench and just readjusted daily viewership. This is not, this is not something like I did a firewall and then seven months later there's a change. It's like, no, this is, this, I, well, you can just look at it, just doing, you know? So, and, and the reason I like the term hell banning is because it makes you feel like, oh, nobody cares anymore. And it's, they don't care anymore because it's just, you're not doing anything any good anymore. And that, um, and that, uh, you know, your time is over. And now there's a bunch of other people getting, you know, four million views for unboxing a, you know, um, a thing. And, uh, and that's just the way it is. And, you know, get used to it. Um, so when I spend the time I spend on, Things like Major Mace Mattingly, which I know, and and Major Mace Mattingly, by the way, let's get this clear. I don't know if I've ever said this in so many words. Major Mace Mattingly is a is a one percent or two percent scale test of the colonies. It's it is almost in, immeasurably simpler, but basically it's the same kind of technology. So it's a good. Uh, halfway house, and, and, and as I developed it more and thought about it more, I realized, no, some, I can do good political work here. So to answer your question about whether or not it can reach non-left-leaning young people, the reason I want to do uh, the Mace Mattingly thing is, number one, it's an Unreal Engine, along with Blender and so on. So it looks interesting. It's got eye candy to it. And, and so it's not a guy sitting there talking in first person. When I was a boy, um, Benny Quero says, what's with the lizard man? Uh, Benny, I'd refer you to Star Trek original episode, uh, original series uh, episode called The Arena. Uh, when you see The Arena in the original Star Trek episode, you realize that that is maybe one of the worst um, special effects ever uh, in terms of costume, but also one of the most really important thought experiments ever, and that was... Um, and that's what Star Trek was originally about. Uh, so his name is, he's the Gorn Captain. And, uh, it, and, and if you can get over the fact that he's got, he's made out of latex rubber and, he and his face never moves, and he's got little sparkly things for eyes so the stuntman can see what he's doing, uh, Arena on the original series is actually a pretty good episode. Um, so uh, so the, the, the Mattingly thing is designed to get past the, not, to not only pr provide eye candy for, uh, it's not even eye candy, it's just a visual language. I came in, I think if I'd been three or four years older, I would have missed the whole thing. But I started playing video games before they were being played on video. I played computer games on, on printout things with a green and white stripe and little things on the side you had to tear off. Played a Star Trek game like that when I was in, I don't know, 
sophomore in high school using the Dade County, Florida school computer system. Klingon warship, you know, bearing this or fire photon torpedoes. This is, I could, I could write the code for that in about seven minutes. However, um, I wasn't too old, so I got into that and then I started playing on the Apple II. I was, I was, I spent hours and hours and hours on the very, very first Microsoft Flight Simulator, which was just a square with a couple of grid lines on it and a row of jagged things that were one-dimensional mountains. They had no depth to them, two-dimensional mountains. So I've been there for the whole computer game thing. I've been there from the beginning. I was there when I I first played uh, the first-person shooter ever was Castle Wolfenstein, and I got hooked on that. I just stayed at a friend's house and played that for days. And the same thing for Wing Commander and all the rest of it. So I've, I've been there for the whole thing. And I've been doing computer animation since 1992. So it's the language. And when I show things like the Major Mace Mattingly stuff, people who are my age and older say, yeah, it's not bad, Bill, but, you know, it still obviously looks like computer generated. And, 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 and I feel that way too. I'm like, all right, I got to get closer. However, um, it doesn't matter because that's what people are used to. And computer graphics get better and better and better. Um, so the main reason for this is not so that I can make boomer comments about how horrible things are, although God knows it'll be fun. The main reason I'm doing this is not to show young people about conservative values. The main reason I'm doing this is to show uh, Zoomers and millennials, what actually, what life was actually like in the mid-1960s when I was a child, what were the grown-ups doing in the 1960s, aside from going to the moon? It's important for me to show non-leftist young people that my they're not even my father's really silent generation. Neil Armstrong and the astronauts were all silent generation. They weren't greatest generation. They were too young for World War II. These are Korean era guys. But those guys, kind of my older brothers, uh, did things that were absolutely unbelievable, and they actually did them. You know, they actually did them. The fastest airplane ever built, ever, is closer to the Wright brothers than it is to us in history. I'm pretty sure it's, it's not as damn near. And I feel like Gen Z and millennials have been just so badly cheated out of, out of so much by, by these left-wing teachers that boomer parents let them stay under. There is so much fun stuff that millennials and Gen Z doesn't, don't know about, and they need to know about it, and they need to know about it in a fun way. That's why I'm going to have... Major Mace Mattingly surfing down the side of a lunar mountain because we could have done that. We could have done it. We did drive a go-kart on the surface of the moon, did it three times. And we and, and by the way, there's an I, I should find it and post it. Uh, this the AI uh, image processing, and by the way, We've talked about this a hundred times, but when you look at the images that AI makes, and now they're making movies. Now AI is just making movies. I have never seen, ever seen anything that AI has done as an image that wasn't horrifying. 
horrifying. And it's horrifying because it is non-human. It is just plain, every one of them is freaking horrifying. Oh my God. Uh, PGT uh, MR2 says, bring back dangerous theme parks. Amen to that, brother. I am a survivor of the steeplechase at Pirate's World in uh, Dania, Florida. The most deadly uh, ride uh, in, in human history. I survived that. Um, so, so whenever you ask AI to make an image, it's, it's horrifying. And this is what they want people to be in charge of our lives, by the way. They're working that right now. Billions, trillions of dollars probably are going into making sure that those same silicone devices that make these horrific, monstrous images, these nightmare images, are in charge of your healthcare, for example. Okay. Um, so, with that said, when you give AI a specific task that is not asking the AI to use its so-called imagination, which isn't really, it's more triangulation or anything, then it can do miraculous things. So somebody took the footage from, I think it was probably Apollo. I think it was 16 now that I think about it. But basically, it was 1970s television, so resolution was probably 320 by 280, something like that. That's not high def. That's not even low def. That's things. That's no def. This is the actual video footage that was shot on the moon. And they gave it to an AI, and they had the AI do what AI can do very well, which is transfer that into, into 4K resolution, 60 frames a second. And the way it does it is AI looks at, at where an image is here, blurry image here, and here's another blurry image here, one 24th or 30th of a second later. And the AI just sharpens everything and interpolates it. It's very good at that. So with that said, um, with that said, um, somebody took, I'm almost positive it was Charlie Duke, but I'm not 100% sure, driving around on the moon in, in the Apollo 16 lunar rover. And now instead of seeing it like we saw it in, when it happened in 1971, 72, 72. Now it looks like it was shot with a GoPro. It's the same footage. It's just been artificially upraised. Um, and these guys are hauling butt. They are just they're they're just hauling butt. They're 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 catching air over craters. They're 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 spinning around. They're 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 doing donuts on the moon. I'm not making it up. Honest to God, just for that one little minute, they are like one guy's on the rover, the other guy's filming, and he is just going around in circles. And there's just this dust is just flying everywhere like water, which is your guarantee that you're on the moon. And these guys are having fun. And and when I look at millennials and especially Gen Z today, I see that every single thing that that, that, it, that their lives consist of have been designed to remove all of the fun out of anything. You can't do anything anymore that's fun. You can't even go out on a date anymore that's fun because now you have to worry about whether or not you're going to be arrested by the by the morning after police. It's just it's a horrific existence that these left wingers have put you into. But these guys had fun. And that's kind of, it's not kind of why we went. That's why we went. Why, why did we go to the moon? Because it was a fun thing to do. It was cool. Why not? We got, we got some time and some money on our hands. Let's go. Let's go. John Kennedy nailed it. Why go to the moon? Why climb the highest mountain? Why does rice play Texas? Rice, for those of you not familiar, is an extremely small, highly regarded kind of intellectual school. 
and the University of Texas has always been one of the football powerhouses in the country. So why does this tiny, tiny, tiny little school with nothing but a bunch of, 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 uh, of nerds and, and weenies uh, turn out a football team and play Texas and get smashed pretty much every single year? Why? Well, they don't do it because it's easy. They do it because it's hard. Kennedy was right on the ball with it. So you can see these guys on the moonwalks. They're, they Once they've done the job that they need to, especially in the later missions when they're on the moon for three days, you've got a three-hour spacewalk here. It's your third spacewalk. You're going to drive over here, and then there's a giant rock, house rock, I think, on Apollo 16. So drive the rover there. Don't get too close because it's kind of on a slope. Get out of the rover. Hop down there. Take a look. It's a giant rock. It's the biggest rock we've ever seen on the moon by far. Okay, fantastic. So, and then these guys are coming back, and and they start singing. I was walking on the moon one day. These two guys are going in the merry merry month of. One guy says May, and the other guy says December. And they're just bouncing along. Harrison Schmidt was a geologist, not an astronaut. He's still alive, second to last man on the moon, and. Uh, Harrison Schmidt was a real scientist. My regard for him is enormous. I mean him no disrespect whatsoever, but Harrison Schmidt fell down a lot on the moon. He was falling down all the time. You can't fake that. There's no wires on him. He falls down in one-sixth gravity and then just does a push-up, and he's back on his feet again. He's covered in, in, in moon uh, dust. So as far as the uh, young left-leaning, uh, non-left-leaning non uh, generation goes, no, it's got to be a completely different channel. I'll post it on BillWhittle.com, but this is a whole different thing. And I don't have to sit here and lecture people, which is what I'm good at. I get to play with it. I get to have fun with it. And I don't know if this has been clear, but while I have one character whose basic job is to sit around and be my voice, of, be the boomer voice of everything going to hell in a handbasket, He's not the guy who wins the argument. The guy who wins the argument is the main character who says, well, what do you expect from people who were put in those situations and, and not educated? What do you expect from them? It's not a hardware issue, Doug. It's a software issue, and we can change the software. So you're going to just quit? You're going to just give up? No. All right, then. So, so I think we get to um, – we get to – I don't want to say tell both sides of the story – Mostly we get to have fun. Uh, for those who have uh, been keeping up with the postings on um, Stratosphere Studios, which is I think, probably 70 people, I've got Mace down. I think he's as good as he's going to get. Steve Sinclair, Command, Master, uh, Command Sergeant Major, is down. Uh, Jeff Gordon, the uh, nuclear engineer, is down. I got him. And I've been having problems with Doug because Doug is a uh, pilot and he's kind of the smart ass and I spent about a week giving him a southern accent and I got that southern accent better I got it to the point where it's actually working okay and I realized that makes me like him less it makes him seem even more of, a, of an ass he has to be much looser much more fun and in the last take of it I did at least he's laughing a lot and it's weird hearing artificial intelligence change your laugh but I'm going to do another take on him tonight if I can anyway but certainly by tomorrow um, so, uh, yes, that's, um, that's where I'm going with this. I just want people to see how much fun it is. Steve Sinclair, who's the, uh, Doug is the, uh, sorry, Jeff is the engineer. 
But Steve is the guy who builds things. He's a quiet guy. I, I saw on the comments, there's only three or four comments on all of these things. Um, Steve is a quiet guy, and somebody said, oh, my kind of guy, man, a few words. That's exactly what he is. He's a command sergeant major. He's Army Corps of Engineers. And when he's not on duty, he's out in the dome building a hot-rodded rover. And it's candy apple red. And um, that candy apple red had to be brought up there on a sea dragon, probably. Um, and so this whole thing is, is really not so... I, I, the original purpose still stands. It's looking at 2023 through the eyes of 1966. But more and more and more, it's changing from a, oh, God, you know, what, what, what has happened? How bad have things gotten? It's becoming more and more of a, dude, you know, you don't have to live like this. It's, it's fun. I've got a tagline for the, for the series I like a lot, and the tagline is, um, it's always 1966 on the moon. So they're driving hot cars. There's a bunch of super hot cosmonauts from your arch enemy, but that doesn't mean you can't be civil or go out on a date. And they're in another moon base a couple hours drive away. And, or, or less time if you're going by jetpack. And, and as, as the ideas continue to, to develop, it begins to get more textured. I loved the idea. The original idea was two guys sitting on a chase lounge, eating, drinking their hams beer in special pressurized containers with a straw. And um, there's Dylan Mulvaney on their color TV set, which is the size of a large microwave and weighs about the same. And they're just looking at Dylan Mulvaney coming to them live from Earth. It's 2023 on the moon. They've been there since 1966. And, uh, and, and he says, well, see, that's what happened. You know, little boys play with cap guns. And that was the original idea. But now I'm adding things like having these guys just sitting there s singing Sloop John B. You know, it's like, you know, I want to go home. You know, why won't they let me go home? And then all of them together chip in. This is the worst trip I've ever been on. This is the worst trip I've ever been on. And you realize these guys are, it's not so much that they're lonely as they're just doing their duty. They've been there for 50 years, more. 55, pushing 60 years. And and they're doing their duty. So what do you do when you do, and, and this is something I'm going to address directly. And one of the things I'm going to address directly is, well, guys, what do you do for entertainment up there? Well, you know, we work on our cars, we maintain the buildings and so on. Yeah, but what about, do you, do you like stream videos and stuff? No. What, is it not possible? No, it's certainly possible. It's just if we just do nothing but sit around and watch TV, then we're just a biology experiment. We're not, we're not here for any reason. We're just, we're just rats in a, in a, in a cage. And we're not going to do that. We watch movies every now and then. Every now and then we'll watch a new movie. Looks like we'd like it, but. We don't just sit around and watch TV. We just don't because, you know, it's poison. I have a line I like very much where there's a message coming up from Earth or something that they're looking at, and they're in the control center, and they're seeing it on, you know, we got their mission control things as a monitor, a little black and white monitor about that big, and somebody's talking, and, and, and Mace says, okay, look, this is important. Put it on the big screen. So they put it on the big screen, which is, you know, that's the big screen. 
color TV, rounded edges. But on the big screen. Um, so uh, there you go. Um, and uh, it, it just I just wish there were more hours in the day. Uh, and right now is a good example of that, too. I remember one hour and 27 minutes. We'll have to do some more. Um, but anyway, I'm going to get rid of the uh, southern accent for Jeff. I'm going to make, uh, for Doug. I always get those two mixed up. I'm going to make it. Um, going to make them a lot more fun. Um, but the, but but it's a lot more appealing, I think, to younger people than I originally had thought of it. I had originally thought of it as just essentially a way to let off steam. But now I really think what I want is uh, is like, hey man, it's always 1966 on the moon. You know, if you want to come up here. You can drive as fast as you want to. You can say anything you want to, so long as you don't insult me to my face, because those could be fighting words. You want to ask a girl out on a date? You can ask her out on a date. She's not gonna. She's not gonna. She's expecting you to ask you ask you out on a date. Uh, uh, you have friends there that are not black friends or Hispanic friends or any. They're just friends. That just doesn't matter because it didn't matter then. It really just got to the point where just when it was at the point where it didn't matter. I mean, really, at the point when it was just doesn't matter anymore, along comes Barack Obama, and now all of a sudden it's the only thing that matters. Um, so there you go. It's, yes, and, and Bandit 848 has got it. He's exactly right. It's kind of like Fallout. It is kind of like Fallout. It's, it's, got a, it's got a real Fallout feel to it. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I really need to play that up a little bit more. In fact, I need to do more Fallout references like the test pattern and things like that. But yes, it's fun. It's fun on the moon right now. Right now on the moon, there are four guys up there Got there in 1966, and they're having fun. By the way, um, uh, just because I will forget this on Monday, uh, these guys have been there since 1966, so they should be in their 90s easily. Oldest one should be pretty much pushing 100. They don't look 100. Uh, they look like they might be in their late 40s. Uh, so how do you explain that? I had said that they had an that they had a suspended animation field up there, and that, uh, and that, and I, and I thought this was cute, and that it was so. We're not allowed to tell you how it works, but once you once once you figure it out, you'd be just absolutely floored at how simple it is. It's right in front of your nose the whole time. We that's that's all we can tell you. I just loved that. I thought it was great, um, and I'll and I'll keep that in there. But then I thought, no, nah. and as I was thinking about something else, I realized this. So this is technically Monday night stuff, but I'm going to tell you now anyway because I feel like um, I'm trying to work into the story, especially the backstory. I, I want to do a little mini documentary about the true story of Project Horizon, which isn't entirely a true story, but some people are real. All of the hardware is real. Didn't all fly, but it was all on the drawing boards. Uh, and I wanted to work in people who I think need to be in it and also some people I know. So Dick Rattan uh, is there because he's the Velvet Army. He's got the best arm of anybody. He uh, he went to the moon in 1966, and then he went to Vietnam afterwards. Uh, and, and he's got a younger brother named Bert. And so I thought, how do I get Bert Rattan into this? He's got to be in his 30s or something. And I thought, well, okay, so we got these cool-looking colonies. I Structures, I like them. They're kind of retro looking. I think they're cool. 
And then it's like, okay, well, you know, oh, I know, breakthrough. One of the reasons we were able to do this in the first place is because some young guy, some young engineer, inventor kind of guy named Bert Rican, nobody ever heard of before, said, you know, you could build these things out of fiberglass. You could just kind of go up there with foam, cut the foam to the size you wanted, just do the ribs if you want to, and just lay up fiberglass. Fiberglass? Yeah, sure. Give it an airtight coating on the inside and a reflective coating on the outside. Paint it white, work great. What about the shielding? Ah, uh, there's the problem. You see the shielding. You need shielding even if you build it out of steel. But then this is where this is sometimes how ideas come together, and it's really really fun. Major Mace Mattingly, believe it or not, and his four friends—one in a red suit, one in a yellow suit, and one in a blue suit—are based on Major Matt Mason, which was a toy which had an enormous effect on me growing up. And thank you again to Eric Blake, who came up with Major Mace Mattingly, which captures it perfectly. The lunar base that I have that I'm going to use in the series is pretty realistic looking, but it's retro looking, but it's, hex it's hexagonal because Major Matt Mason toy base was a, a hexagonal structure with these clear plastic sides. And I'm going to go with this conceit that the Mattel toys actually got a hold of a leak. There was like a, an information leak, so they made toys based on the real guys. So it's not like we're copying Major Matt Mason. Major Matt Mason was the name they made up so they wouldn't get sued by Major Mace Manning. They happened to be up on the moon at the time. So that moon base was really cool. I just had so much fun with it. And it had a, a centralized thing. It's essentially a little flashlight. had a D battery in it. And if you put it down, it would be inside the top inside the floor of the base, and it would light up the instrument panels. But you could also remove it, flip it or something, and put it on the roof, and then it became like a, like a beacon, like a rotating beacon, something like that. And so I built the real model with a beacon on the top of the hexagonal dome building, and everybody who played with Major Mason would go, oh, look at that, that's so cool. And then I thought, okay, wait a minute, hold on a second now. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna get Bert Rutan into this, and I'm going to find a way to get Bert Rutan into this, then he has to come in because of his, because materials, because Bert figured out a way to build things that were light and strong using fiberglass. So good. Now we got a, now we got a problem with the shielding. And how do we deal with the shielding? And then I thought, ah, oh, you know, you don't want to certainly don't want to lift lead up there, and you know, I don't want to do the whole lunar regolith thing or bury it. It's just ugly, and I just don't want to do that either. And then I realized. Okay, so the Earth is protected by our magnetic field, um, which channels solar radiation, highly charged particles from the sun, into the poles. And that kind of shielding can be produced artificially. One of the main points of uh, the series is that when you have nuclear power, you can do whatever the hell you want. You get more energy than you know what to do with. And so one of the reasons they built such a powerful reactor up there is because this thing up on the top of the central dome is not a, a light. It's, a, it's an electromagnet. And what the electromagnet does is, is it spins a magnetic field around the entire base, and that magnetic field, field does almost all of the actual shielding against high-energy particles. The rest of it's just taken care of by lead-lined paint or something like that. So I get bird in there, I get fiberglass in there, get all that stuff in there. I got an explanation for this device up on the top of the thing. And I've got this highly intense magnetic field. And I thought, okay, okay. Um, 
how strong should this magnetic field be? And I thought, well, how strong is a magnetic force on an MRI? And I took a look, and it turns out that MRIs are generally somewhere around two Teslas worth of magnetism. One Tesla, if I remember correctly, is 10,000 Gauss. Magnetic field in an MRI machine is extremely powerful. I think it's, like I said, I think the most powerful ones are pushing three or four Tesla. Um, and I thought, okay, now this is all between, don't tell anybody, but I'm making this part up. But when you, when you put the human body inside of that kind of magnetic field, it, it, it resonates. It, 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 it kind of glows in a ritual. MRI stands for Magnetic Resonance Imaging. So if you put a human being inside a tube and you, and you spin him around and you, and you put four Tesla of, of magnetic field around him, so 40,000 Gauss, uh, you get to see images from inside the guy's body. That's at four Teslas. And I thought, what if the shielding on the base was 50 Teslas? N nothing on the base was made out of metal, or at least nothing on the outside or whatever. I'll figure that out. Dead zone or something. Um, what if it's 50 Teslas when you're right next to it? I wonder what that would do to your body. And I'm going to come up with the fact that it's going to slow your aging down. I mean, if it turns out that 40,000 Gauss means that your body um, resonates an image, then I'm just going to say, well, 100 times that should slow down your biology. And then, and then uh, Jeff, the engineer, is going to, when he's explaining this, he's going to say, now, can't be clear enough about this. This is not a relativistic effect. It's got nothing to do with relativity. Just got the just got to do with the effect of intense magnetic fields on biology. Well, how'd you find out about this? Well, that's an interesting story. When we were building the base, we had the we had the place pressurized. We're putting the shielding up. We're all wearing our suits for shielding, and so we're going to do our first test of this electronic thing. And uh, we were working on the thing. Switched it on. It was great. Loved it. Went back to look in on it two and a half weeks later, and it turned out one of the guys who'd been working on it had left a banana there. Just hadn't noticed it. He was snacking on it for lunch. No sense coming all the way down just to eat. You know, so he left a banana there three and a half weeks later, and the banana looked exactly the same. And if you've ever eaten or purchased a banana, you know that they pretty much go bad in the time it takes to get home from the, uh, the supermarket. And we all looked at this banana. So this banana has been sitting here in, in, in oxygen for uh, three and a half weeks. And it's not gone rotten or ripe. Why? It's because it's in the middle of, it. it's in the middle of uh, 50 Tesla's worth of magnetic energy. So they will have accidentally discovered that extraordinarily intense magnetic fields slow down the aging process. doesn't stop it. It's not relativity. It's not Einstein. You're not doing any of that stuff. It's just what happens. And then I thought, I love it. 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 It solves so many problems. It's so cool. It's, it, 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 it solves the Major Matt Mason toy thing. It solves the shielding thing. It solves um, the aging thing. It solves, in fact, 
if in fact, and this never occurred to me, I thought they would have to get into one of these tubes, but you could make the case that just living on the base means that they all don't age because of that. Damn it, that's just so good. Um, and then I finally, for a final, final thing, I just thought, okay, great. Now, for those of you who watch the show on Twitch and have been watching the show from the beginning, I think from the first episode, I think, uh, the uh, walk-in music for the Stratosphere Lounge is um, another song from 1965, I want to say, from uh, Petula Clark called I Know a Place. It's got a real cool 60s vibe, and I just like the sound of it for the Stratosphere Lounge. Uh, and I found out about that song in 1978 or 79 when I saw a hand-animated piece of artwork. I saw both of them together at the same time. It was on 16-millimeter film. One of them was called The Wizard of Speed and Time, which was stop-motion animation, which my friends and I were doing. I didn't particularly like them because I thought they were a lot of energy and a lot of time. But my friend Steve and, and, and a bunch of other filmmakers went in my junior to senior year in high school, I was more interested in writing the, the James Bond spice booths, but they spent a lot of time on these things. And they called them bum runs. And basically what they would do is they would just sit on the ground like they're driving a car and they'd click a frame on the movie camera and then they'd move forward a couple inches. They'd click a frame on the movie camera and they would go through like two or three pairs of pants doing that. And, and when you use your imagination, you could do guys like spinning out and all the rest of it. So we've been doing that for years. I saw this thing called the Wizard of Speed and Time, and this was that exact technique, but but infinitely more technologically advanced and 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 orders of magnitude more inventive. Just brilliant, brilliant stuff. And on the same reel was something that was cell animation, and this is before the days of computer graphics. So you just have to understand that you're watching your, your well. I am a 18, 19, 20-year-old film major. I'm at a post-production house, which in itself was impressive, uh, in Miami called Magic Lantern. And they're showing me this film that they'd just gotten, pirated copy of, on a 16-millimeter projector. And I'm looking at this Wizard of Speed and Time. I go, wow. And then they played another one that the same guy did called Animato. And looking at it now, you may not think, oh, it's not such a big deal. Every single frame of it was cut out with scissors and, and hand position. I mean, it's fantastic. And Animato used I Know a Place by Petula Clark as its theme song. And I remembered that song. So when it came time to do the show, I remember, oh, what was that thing I saw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look up Animato, found uh, I Know a Place. There you go. This guy's name was um, Mike uh, Jitlove. And he's still alive. And he had an effect on people my age, filmmakers my age, special effects people, uh, guys who like space movies, guys who watch, used to read magazines like Cinefix. Mike Jitlove was there as an amateur, and we worshipped him. We could not believe what he was doing. Um, and so I decided, in my infinite wisdom, that, that this biological slowing down in the presence of intense magnetic field would be called the Jitlove effect, based on a guy who was a professor. Uh, he was a, a theorist who, who figured all this stuff out back at Mission Control. The guy was just a wizard when it came to speed and time. Uh, and Mike Jitlove is the guy who basically discovered the Jitlove effect.
And, uh, and so there's another person whose name has been forgotten and who deserves to not be forgotten, like Chappie James and the rest of the, the Jitloff effect. Sometimes, Bill, sometimes, really, you do, you do earn your pay. Hey, there's a first-time chat, which I always take from Enormous Con. What a great name. Want to offer promotion of your channel, viewers, followers, views, chats, bots. The price is lower than any competitor. The quality is guaranteed to be the best. Auto on. This gets better and better. Incredibly flexible and convenient order management panel. Everything is in your hands. Turn it off, on, customize, and all I have to do is go to a website address, which it's uh, not a name I'm going to mention. Wow. Well, I, uh, I'm i tempted just to shut the show down now because I just can't wait to see what's going on there. But uh, I think I'll probably just um, I'll probably just do another question or two. That's a great question, though, Ian. I know, we, you know we're, we're ahead of the curve on the show when we get a question done. Uh, but that question was fascinating and, and, and uh, stayed with me. So let me see what I got here. Oh, yes. Okay. Hey, here's one. Okay, we got a couple. We're not going to do them all today. However, we will get through one, two, Three more. Okay. Thank you again for that, Ian. Moving on. It's our friend GK Masterson. Hey, Bill. Just got back from training. I can back that 18-wheeler up good now. If I'm ever sent out to the LA area, think you and the lovely Natasha could come and meet me at the truck stop. You better believe it, we will. Not a political question, but I've been up for nearly 20 hours, and I am brain fogged. I missed everyone. Looking forward to catching up on right angles, TSLs, virtue signals right after I catch up on some sleep from GK. GK Masterson is one of the uh, several people who have been constantly making great comments here for the longest possible time and also done an enormous amount of work behind the scenes to keep these things running, and I am fantastically grateful. Um, She uh, up and went to truck driver school and has been there for several weeks and uh, has uh, successfully graduated, and backing up one of those 18-wheelers is not fun because I've tried to have to back up a trailer, and, and that joint thing is not easy. So congratulations, GK. Yes, you bet your life. We'd be happy to come and meet you, and um, and I have no doubt that even the filthiest truck stop that you could possibly find will be in much better condition than most of Santa Monica. So thanks to see that. I'm glad to see that, and congratulations. All right, here we go. Um... Skip the second one, Eric. Uh, no, I'm not, because that one's... Eric, I, 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 I hate to do this on your birthday. I'm going to pass on both those questions. One of them, because it's very much like last week, I've got nothing to add, and the other one is because I just don't want to get into it. Uh, I, it's not I'm afraid of it, I just don't want to. So we'll have to, have to skip you on that one. Sorry about that. Uh... Sorry. Okay. 
Charles Tomes has an aviation question, and I've been doing too much aviation tonight. Charles, I don't know if it's if it's possible if you're watching this or, or watch it when it's recorded. I would very much like to cover that issue. If you could if you could repost it for next uh, week, I will I will look for it real hard. I just don't think it's fair to another aviation question about it, but it's great. So that leaves us with uh, one question to go from Rusha Dark, which is uh, a little long as as is usually the case. However. Uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, ore there, a lot of um, mineral there in that ore. So here we go, and this will do it for the night, kids. Um, topic: Pagans versus the religious right. You know, I was content to come in here this week and ask a nice, consensus lowball question, like whether Bill and Natasha were planning to have children together someday, uh, but. Upon opening the website, I see yet another Virtue Signal episode in which Bill and Zoe are bashing pagans collectively. I thought we were bashing Satanists, but we'll see. I'll be the first to say that there are plenty of self-described pagans who do and believe stupid crap, plenty of sadists in that group, but as the resident pagan witch in this circle of friends, I feel obligated to throw out a not-all-in-response. Fair enough. After seeing a number of these episodes, it does make me wonder what place someone like me has in an America where conservatives are in charge. Most conservatives are of the Abrahamic persuasion, and most of those are Christian. I'm old enough to remember when the religious right was predominant in the culture, and at least a vocal portion of them saw fit to demonize anything outside their mainstream view. I know that you and I are friends, Bill. I know you're capable of nuance, and I know that this is a two-way street in which many conservatives and Christians presently feel demonized and persecuted for their religious faith by the left. But could you maybe speak to this issue? What place do religious minorities have in America? if Christian conservatives manage to take charge again, because honestly, I do worry about overcompensation, and not all of them will be as kind to me as you have been. Maybe you and Zoe can make a topic of that Virtue Signal episode on its own. Well, what a profoundly deep and uh, interesting and meaningful and important question. Let me answer the first important question first, because uh, it came to me right as I was reading it. Uh, you wrote, after seeing a number of these episodes, where we're talking about Satanism and Zoe and I, it does make me wonder what place someone like me has in an America where the conservatives are in charge. Well, if the conservatives ever are in charge, then the real conservatives, Marusha, your place will be the same exact place as it is now, only nobody will be telling you what to do. Uh, religious freedom is, is another form of intellectual freedom, freedom of speech, and so on. It's much more than that as well. Freedom to choose your own religion, including freedom from religion, is is a core principle that this country is based on. And as a person who not only respects but actually worships the structure of this government and what it's been able to achieve, to say that I would have any kind of desire, let alone opportunity or means or inclination, to to affect somebody else's religious freedom is, is to invalidate everything I believe in. Uh, it's the First Amendment. It's the First Amendment. It's the same in the same amendment as free speech. So, talking talking about Satanism, and we were talking about Satanism. I don't know if Zoe used the word pagans. I suspect it might have been him. It might have been me. But I'll get to the other side of this argument in a minute. Um, the the discussion about about the worship of Satanism or the worship about Satan in general is an important discussion to have, but 
I think you're drawing the wrong conclusion. Well, I know you're drawing the wrong conclusion from it. If you think that what I'm saying is that, or what Zoe is saying is that Satanism has to be, or, or Satanists need to be rounded up and put into camps. Uh, Got a live action comment here. Zoe has repeatedly bashed witches and pagans in many of the Virtue Signal episodes, not just Satanists, although for him I don't think he sees the difference between them. I don't think he sees the difference between them either. Um, one of the things about Virtue Signal that I think is interesting is, is there's you know different shades of, of opinion, intensity, and all the rest of it. I can't speak for Zoe, but I would be astonished. I'd really be quite astonished if Zoe's position were Boy, if we ever get in charge, we're just going to round up all those pagans and witches and cart them off someplace. I just don't think he's ever thought that at all. I think much more than 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 me personally, Zoe looks at life through a fundamentalist Christian perspective on pretty much everything. And that's why I like doing that show with him, because I learn things from him. Many of the things I agree with, some of the things I don't agree with, and I usually try to say I don't agree with them or or whatever. As far as beating up on pagans and witches and, and, and Satanists goes, um, first thing I'll say is my my initial reaction, which you just heard, is my is my base true reaction. I have no desire, inclination, and I am terrified of having the power or anybody having the power to tell anybody else what they believe or don't believe. It's entirely up to them. I don't care. That's entirely their business. And I and there's no qualifications about that. So real conservatism is about leaving people alone. And that's all I'm asking for myself, and that's all I think I'm ever asking for anybody else, just to be left alone so much as you don't. The, 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 the old saw is the simplest way of understanding it. You can swing your fist as much as long as much as you want to, as long as you don't hit anybody else's nose. Now, Marisha says he may not, and I may not, but there will be there may be plenty of Christians who would. I'll tell you the honest truth, Marisha. Seriously, you don't have to believe it or not. It's, it's up to you. I don't know a single Christian who would be in favor of that. I don't. I genuinely don't. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying I don't hang out with them. I have some friends who are deeply religious people. Our friends Phil Trick, Andrew Clavin, Jeremy Porn. They're considerably more religious than I am, and I don't. I have never heard any of them ever talk about anything that even comes close to that at all. It has not come up. It's like talking to a, a foreigner about this, actually. When I, when I speak to, when, when, when I'm, I'm engaged in a conversation with somebody who says that Americans just want conquest, we just want to conquer the world, just want to take other territory, my genuine response to that will be, look, uh, I'm a conservative, I hang out with other conservatives, and I'm kind of a hawk and I hang out with other hawks, too. In all of the discussions that we've had in the most private of sessions, the most private, secure conversations we have ever had, ever, the subject of going in and taking somebody's country so we can have their land or their resources has not only not been rejected, it's just never come up, ever. It has never, ever come up. You don't have to believe me, and I'm not at you, but I'm telling you, as somebody who is in the kind of conversations you imagine that are happening, it's not on the table. The U.S. military has no plans and never has had any plans for going into some country, kicking its doors down and just taking its stuff. We haven't done it. We don't want to do it. Why would we do it? We live in the best place in the world. 
And so I'll, I'll apply that same standard to what I'm telling you now. Of the people that I know who are deeply religious Christians, the idea of the suppression of anybody else's religion, including Satanists, suppressing their religion has never even come up, let alone been rejected. It's simply not on the table because the Christians that I know are patriots who deeply understand how this country works and they understand the same thing I understand, which was taught to me by, by my dad, who, who was in Germany in April of 1945, never got shot at ever, but he was prepared to, and he thought he was going to be killed in Germany. Then he thought he was going to get killed in Japan, like everybody else his, his age and his class. My dad went to, to Germany, enlisted, lied about his age, and enlisted after having a hernia and, and all the rest of this stuff because he was determined to fight the Nazis. So my dad was not a big fan of the Nazis. But when the Nazis marched in Skokie in the 70s or late 60s, and it was big news, I said, Doug, well, these Nazis in the streets, they just put these people in jail. He said, you can't put them in jail, Bill. I said, why? He said, because... If, because if it turns out that there are people who can go to jail because they disagree with you, the problem then becomes who decides? Who decides? And, and there's no way around it. And, and this is why I'm, I'm such a big free speech believer. I, I think my dad's exactly right. And to hear my dad come out defending the, not defending Nazis, defending the right of the Nazis, to march in an American city because he finds them as repulsive as I do, more so, and I have a low opinion of them. He was real. He was willing to give his his twenty year old life in order to stop them, but he also understood that to to put them in prison for it is is maybe entirely appropriate in the case of Nazis. But that's not the point. The point is who decides? Who decides who goes to jail because of what they believe? So. There's that. And and that's the same argument I would apply to all of this stuff. Now let's talk about the actual stuff that's that's at at, uh, at the center of this issue here. Uh, there's another question from Rusha since we're talking about uh, his or her comment. Uh, before the woke canceled rallying for being a turf, the religious right canceled her for promoting witchcraft and cor corrupting the youth. Okay, Marusha, fair enough. But when you say they canceled her, did they put her in jail? Did they Did they... What did they do to her other than disagree with what she was teaching? I mean, wh where's the coercion here? I'm not aware that anybody, there may have been movements to, to, to have your kids not read her, but there was nobody was like uh, actually out to get her. People thought and still think, some conservative Christians still think that, that belief in magic is dangerous and, and, unbiblical. Fair enough. You don't have to agree with that. I'm not sure I do. It doesn't matter. The point is, they disagreed with her, and they made a public point of disagreeing with her. But where's the coercion? Where's the, where's the harm to J.K. Rowling as a result of, of conservatives not liking her preaching about magic? There isn't any. There is a huge amount of security and personal concern issues when she pissed off the left, but when she pissed off the right, all the right did was say, we don't like this. So she was not, her books were not burned. They were not removed from the stores. People disagreed with her. They expressed their opinions. And then, 
That's that. That's what a free country is. Now, you can find that threatening, and if it turned out that she had been hauled away, then I would find it threatening too, but that didn't happen, so it didn't happen. Um, so her movies have, as, as, as uh, Dar Dar Chuck the Merciless points out, her movies, it's a direct quote, hang on, isn't Rowling still rolling in cash from the books and movies and not burning at the stake or in jail? That's kind of the question. Her movies have made billions of dollars, and she's taken a significant hunk of it because she's earned it. I, I'm not a Harry Potter fan, but I but I had no problem with the Harry Potter movies. It just didn't interest me much because I just always considered them to be kind of Lord of the Rings light. Lord of the Rings, by the way, contains an awful lot of supernatural stuff in it, and I don't know if whether Christians are upset about that. I'm sure there were some of them that were, but that's not the point, you see. That's not the point. This country does not allow anybody to take that kind of action, and I find that the destruction that's been been and the hatred and the and the intimidation and the uh and the general misery and fear that jk rowling has faced has not come from conservatives they just disagreed with her and didn't think that they, and said i don't like what she's writing it's the left that's threatened her life and threatened to kill her and 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 done all the rest of it because she said a woman is a woman that's the the sin of the age so i just i'm not i'm not trying to say you're well, I am trying to say you're wrong for being worried about this because, because it's not – I just don't see it as a factor. She's back, he or she is back again. Cancellation precedes coercion, which is why wokeness is dangerous. Is it not? The left would agree to – would argue no terps are in jail yet. So at what point then are you allowed to disagree with, with a position – I mean, if what you're saying is Bill and Zoe talking about the harm of Satanism makes you feel uncomfortable, that if Bill and Zoe were in power in this country, uh, your your religious rights would be uh, under attack. When none of us called for that, what are we allowed to say about Satanism, and what are we allowed to disagree with about Satanism? Paganism, Wiccanism, witchery, or all the rest of it. What are we allowed to disagree with without hurting your feelings? I mean, I, I, I just don't know what to say about that. I am uh, enormously proud of the fact that I am at the absolute dead bottom last of the victimhood chain. There's not a thing that's said in, in genuine hateful things that are said out there that don't apply to me directly. Hatred towards white people, towards males, towards people who consider them Christians, towards conservatives, towards uh, straight people, all of it. I'm all of those things. I get, I get this, this wave of societal hate all the time, and I have no corner that I can go hide in where I can say, well, at least I'm gay. Nope. I am... I am uh, I'm assaulted by this every day, and I fight back against the things that I don't like, and Satanism is one of them, but that doesn't mean that, that I'm worried, particularly, about people who criticize me, mostly on account of those incredible stash of weapons I had before that tragic boating accident. That's the fundamental difference between this culture and other cultures is going to be awful hard to take 180 million of us 
out into a field and be shot in the back of the head. Um, so, so what, what, what do people who disagree with Satanism have to do? Do we, do we just have to be quiet about it because we don't want people's feelings hurt or we don't want them, we don't want them worried about something that's, that we've never discussed or is it, isn't even on the table? So let's talk about Satanism for a minute. Now, either Satan exists or he doesn't. If he, and, and, and for the sake of this argument, it's actually not, it, it doesn't even really matter. When people say they worship Satan, we know who Satan is. Whether Satan is real or not is, a, is, is an individual opinion, but we know what, we know what Satan is um, and is generally considered to be antithetical to Christianity. We know what Christianity is, as written anyway. So when you hear people saying that they're Satanists and that they're promoting Satanism in T-shirts and all the rest of it, what is it that they are promoting? We will take Satan as an as a as a as a as an identity that we can agree with or disagree with in terms of the physical reality or metaphysical reality of Satan. But when we say Satan, we all know what Satan is. Satan is the is the goat horned devil. Satan is the rebellion against the creator of the universe. That's who Satan is. We're not talking about Shiva. We're not talking about, you know, uh, Odin. We're talking about Satan. Satan is a construct of Christianity, Western construct, in the sense that we're discussing it. And Satan and the upside-down cross represents the antithesis of holiness and sacredness. The Black Mass was celebrated with orgies and, and, and blood sacrifice and, and human sacrifice. This is, what, this is what the antithesis of Christian morality is. And Christian morality is what built this country. Judeo-Christian morality is why we're having this discussion. And you don't have to be Jewish or Christian in order to benefit from it. But nevertheless, it's there. And it's much deeper than, oh, Christians wrote the Constitution. It's much, much deeper than that. The essential, and when I say Judeo-Christian, we're really talking about Christian. Because here's what it is. And this doesn't apply to Judaism as far as I can see, generally speaking. The essence of Christianity as a religion, as a moral code, is that there is an internal conscience and an internal presence that provides you with virtue that you are incapable of generating on your own, and that this virtue was a gift to humanity from God. But the most important thing about Christianity is that word internal. Muslim societies, traditional Muslim societies, Sharia societies, look at all of the things that cause human um, despair and unhappiness and ban them. You can't uh, drink alcohol in, in, a, in, a, in a fundamentalist Muslim country. Uh, in the most strict fundamentalist Muslim countries, you can't listen to music. 
Uh, you can't hold hands. You can't kiss in public or in private until you're married. All of those elements are there in order to prevent human beings from sinning. And to some degree, Judaism is the same way. There are strictures and laws that are used externally to enforce your behavior. Christianity, on the other hand, says you can't force virtue on people from the outside. All you can do is control them and, and um, corral them, but you can't make them virtuous. And because you can't make them virtuous, any attempt to do so is immoral. The reason that Christianity and, and the United States are so deeply intertwined is because, as the founders said extremely clearly, they said, our form of government will not function for a population that is not virtuous. What does that mean? Virtue, in the case there that, that, that the founders were talking about, it was mean virtue meant doing the right thing as often as you can without somebody forcing you or watching you doing it. It is the honor system. That's probably the best way to put it, you know. It's the honor system. Um, so, in the United States, we don't ban Las Vegas. And if you go to Vegas, you can drink, you can gamble, you can whore around, and Vegas, being the modern uh, Babylon, jokes about it, you know, yeah, come to Vegas, do all of these things, just don't tell anybody, because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And America has a Las Vegas, because America's fundamentally predicated on the idea that if you ban Vegas, you're not going to ban the desire to gamble, the desire to drink, the desire to whore around. So, there it is. Use it in moderation. And, and this is the essence of what virtue is. The reason we're free in America is because we're expected to behave ourselves. And when we say behave ourselves, it means, it means conform to Christian virtues like monogamy and marriage, uh, a belief in a higher power, uh, uh, the idea of something being sacred, the idea of something that 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 tri that, that good triumphs over evil—the you know, whole package. If you if you don't have people behaving virtuously, then you don't have freedom. You can't have freedom. You can't. It's not possible. You have to regulate people, and that's what's happening right now. This is what the progressives are doing. They want they want video surveillance on everything and everything that's not. Forbidden is mandatory. That's the kind of world that we've always lived in, and, and, and this is the antithesis of what having a, a conscience does for you. So when, so when Satanists are out there talking about being the antithesis of Christianity, they're the antithesis of freedom, despite the fact that they're claiming to be the advocates of freedom. What they're doing is they're making Satan into Lucifer. The arguments that Satanists generally present is, is that Satan is a super groovy cat who's in rebellious against a, an evil ruler and who brings light and knowledge and so on and therefore deserves to be worshipped, uh, not this stern, rotten guy who's got all these rules and so on. But what Satanism is essentially selling is 
not liberty, it's libertinism. Satanism is selling the idea that you can do whatever you want to, whenever you want to. Conform to Christian virtues or else you're immoral. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yes, confirm to Christian virtues or else you're immoral. So what are some Christian virtues, Marisha? Murder is bad. That's a Christian virtue. If I don't conform to that, if I think murder is fine, am I just going around murdering people? Does that make me immoral? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Adultery is, is bad. Bearing false witness is bad. Rape is bad. Arson is bad. Stealing is bad. These are the moral codes that we live by. And so, yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Conform to Christian values or else you're immoral. If you have values that are, that are satanic, then you can do whatever you want to. And this is where the danger is. This is why Zoe and I have discussions about Satanism and why we, why we talk about it as a danger, because it is a danger. The thing that's, that, 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 I, that I never get, uh, that I never get, I can never understand, is that people who talk about being a Satanist, who, who worship Satan as, as, as that name is understood, believe him. When he says, I'm just here to, to liberate you from this, 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 this oppressive God creature. We know what Satan is. We know what the name means. We know what the, what we know about, you know, paradise lost, that, 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 that archetypical story. We, we know the story. And we also know that Satan is the prince of lies. He is, he is telling you what you want to hear so that you will do whatever you want to, and then you will end up being miserable and making other people miserable as well. This idea has to be fought. And when I say fought, I'm not advocating taking Satanists and lining them up and putting them into camp. I'm saying it has to be fought the way that Zoe and I fight it, which is to say, this is dangerous and wrong. It's dangerous and evil. And, and, and it is going to cause a lot of problems because, put aside all of the things, put aside all of the things that, 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 Satan absolutely have been associated with Satanism, things like animal uh, child sacrifice and, and, and blood sacrifice, all the rest of it, human sacrifice, all of it. This idea that you should be able to do whatever you want to any of all the time is so tempting that you would think temptation would be what the guy's selling. So there you go. One of the, is, is this something based on uh, Don Victory here says, I'm sorry, Victory, excuse me, Don. God doesn't force you to believe in him. Everyone is free to choose. There's, the, there's, your, there's your giant paradox, right? Uh, there's your paradox. You have an all-powerful God who has the ability, whether you believe in him or not, we're talking about religion now, we're talking about Satan, so if we're talking about Satan, we can talk about God. You're talking about... Um, You're talking about a creature, a being that had the ability to create a sinless world and didn't. Why? I have an opinion on this. My personal opinion is, is that God decided it would be a lot more interesting. A lot more interesting to find out what creatures would do 
if they weren't forced to do something. Then you would realize, oh, so what, what, so what free choice really is, and the reason that we're different from the animals is because we have the ability to choose. And that's interesting. And the reason it's interesting is because you can't say humanity does this. I can say that pigeons do this, and every single pigeon does this. Every single seal does that. But you can't say that every single human does this. Humans are different. They, they have different opinions, different choices. They, make, they have free will, and they have the consequences of that free will. So, there you go. And, and I, 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 I just don't understand how people who, who claim to be worshipping the horned devil who fell from heaven and reigns in hell because of his pride and his narcissism and his mean-spirited egotism, I don't find that worthy of worship. And I find that people who do find that worthy of worship have qualities that I don't think are good for society, namely narcissism, overweening pride, absolute certainty in their own cause, and a willingness to do whatever they want to regardless of, of what the consequences are. There you go. Um, so I think that's really about all I have to say about it. It's just, um, I, just don't know, I just don't know how else to put it. It's important for people like me, Enzo, to make sure that, that this doesn't be, to do our best to make sure that people understand that there's another side to this story, that, it's, that, that Satan doesn't become cool. And I see, you know, I see a lot of the, uh, the, the imagery, I see a lot of pentagrams, I see, a, uh, generally speaking, goth types have it more than others, but uh, it's out there. So what are you, you know, what are you saying? Um, is it prideful to claim that no one has a right to rule over anyone else? Um, well, we're talking again about the religious construct of, um, of Christianity and Satanism. So within the boundaries of that, I'm not claiming that anyone has a right to rule over anybody else. But I am claiming that an all-powerful God has a right to do whatever he damn well wants to. And, and the fact that he doesn't is a gift to you. Um, now, uh, Let's see. So, Marisha said, so we were talking about Stefan Molnu before. He's an atheist who wrote a book about recovering morality from pure reason and secular first principles that precede religion. But that's absurd, Marusha, and he's wrong. He's, he's flat out wrong, and he should know better. Reason didn't, pre didn't precede religion. Religion and religious belief and belief in God has been there since we walked, since we descended from the trees and possibly earlier. Reason is a relatively new invention. Reason, like science, is a way of thinking about things. You, you have little pockets of reason throughout history. The Greeks managed to pull off a little bit of it. Certain numbers of very small numbers of very small group of people managed to pull it off. But for, for but, but to say that that reason existed before before religion is just plain nuts. It's provably wrong. It's provably wrong. You, you have, you have, if you want to talk about things scientifically, if you want to, if you want to establish that as truth, that if Stefan is actually saying that reason preceded religion and that's where these values came from, is from reason, 
then show me show me a, a, a historical record of, of people and societies even mentioning reason, let alone following reason or being reasonable. That's that's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. No, 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 no. Reason is the result of the freedom that comes from having an internal conscience and not being and not having morality enforced upon you by society but rather enforced upon you by your internal conscience the presence of Christ in your life that's basically it but but this idea that that there were this this this, this group of you know of 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 guys in togas and wearing laurels on their head who 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 developed all of these ideas through through uh, rational discussion prior to uh, religion coming along and ruining anything is just plain insane no it's insane the volcano is on fire again yes well, let's chuck some young women in there because that's the most precious thing we have and if we give the volcano the most precious thing we have maybe the volcano will leave us alone for a while that's not reason that's been there a long time before reason long time before reason Science is a result of reason, and reason is the invention. It's a, it, it is an intellectual construction that basically says that there are things that exist outside of our own consciousness and opinions, that there is an actual external truth, and that people of goodwill who are trying to find that truth can have discussions and disagree about things, and, and by referring to those external truths can come to a an agreement about what is true or what is not true. That's basically what reason is. But this is a a, a modern invention, and and you you I just don't you you can't reason your way into a belief that murder, rape, and theft are swell qualities. The idea that these things were anathema and taboo existed for hundreds of millennia before people even had the idea that you could discuss with somebody who you disagree with the idea that, that there may be an external way to measure whether we're right or wrong. That's what, that's what reason is. This is, a, this is a recent invention. So to say that reason is the reason we have all these virtues is just plain historically wrong. And... And I'm surprised that he would make a statement like that because that seems to me to be as prima facie as any other thing I've ever seen. See, I use some Latin there. It means it must be right because I'm a smart guy and I use Latin. So there you go. You know, this, this society, as it is structured, has to be virtuous. And there are many, now let me make sure I get this right so you understand what I'm saying, there are many, many, many virtuous people out there who are not religious or Christian, but their virtue is baked into the society that they grew up in, and that society is constructed of bricks and, and mortar that are Christian. We don't practice genital mutilation. Some countries in the world do. Uh, we don't keep women in caves. Some countries in the world do. Uh, you can't...
Well, I just think that just to me is just retreading the same territory. If you're actually trying to make the case that reason existed before religion, then there's nothing I can do about that. You're just going to have to show me some evidence. If you want to change my mind and win this argument, you're going to have to show me evidence of reason having a place in human history that predates religion's place in human history. And you can't do that, and we both know it. So, there you go. Anyway, it's fun to have reasonable conversations with friends and people and discuss things, learn things, see new perspectives on things. Not for me, of course, obviously, I'm right all the time, but for you, it must be a real thrill, all of you out there. Uh, so, in any event, yeah, but, but at no point have I or anyone else I know ever said that Satanists need to be locked up. We just think they need to be shown that they're wrong for the sake of the Satanists and especially for the people that they're trying to recruit because it is not a happy outcome. We don't have to like the fact that the, that the traditional Christian values are not fun. You know, the seven cardinal virtues, thriftiness isn't fun. Uh, none of them are fun. The reason they're there is because they provide for the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people over time. So, anyway, that's it. So, Marisha says she can show that there is a historical precedent for reason that predates religion, just can't do it in 200 characters in five minutes. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to... Um, to uh, Maybe next week you can put in the uh, comment section just some bullet points of, of where these uh, outcroppings of reason exist in the historical record. Uh, so you have a whole week to think about that. You can spend as much time on it as you want to. I'm done here. Um, in any event, these things are fun. They're fun to talk about. It's fun to talk with smart people about things. It's fun to be challenged about ideas. And... Um, And it's something to think about. Uh, okay, so um, anyway, I'm uh, I'm all done here. It's uh, uh, two hours and twenty six minutes of recording. I think that's probably enough. I have things to do as well as always before I go home, so I'm going to do those things now. But uh, it was fun talking about the stuff. So um, so we will see uh, what happens uh, next time. I suppose. Because as you probably know by now, this show is made possible by the members at BillLittle.com who uh, keep discussions like this one going. I'm not going to pick this up again. I'm just, I'm just done with it. I don't think there's anything new to say. Um, and to those uh, members, we're very, very grateful as always. Uh, for the rest of you, you can all go pound sand in hell. Uh, and I mean that in the nicest possible ways, I'm sure you can tell. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, all of you. Um, and um, it's been real and it's been fun and it's, it's even been real fun. So we'll see you next time uh, right here on your very own Stratosphere Lounge. And good night to you as well, Marisha. It's fun to disagree with people you respect, and that's certainly the case with you. And and uh, and uh, there we go. All right, so ta-da!